Good to be with you again. Trust that, that you're in good standing with God and that you're rejoicing in His goodness. Any first-time visitors here? Anybody for the first time? Nobody? All right. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Matthew 6 and verse 25. So don't worry about the length. I'm only going to be preaching for an hour this time, not for an hour and a half. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. We're not going to read that. We should be reading it from verse 19, but I'm saving a bit of time here. If you could read it on your own later on. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom... Uh, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough worries of its own well <laughs> never a true say, saying uh, each day has enough worries of its own we're living in a very tense and extremely uptight world called a world of anxiety or the age of anxiety and it's very tempting to dismiss Jesus's words here as being unrealistic and unfair after all we we all worry we all have worries do we not and wasn't Jesus speaking 2,000 years ago to, to a group of people that were in a less stressful situation surely he's, he's not meaning for us to to worry not to worry at all now you see the Word of God is for all ages and it's for all people and it's for us. And this is precisely why Jesus knew that we would have these stresses and strains. And this is why he is sharing this word with us, an eternal word. That, that word is for us for today. Jesus' command might seem impossible for you right now. But if it weren't, imagine if we were able to worry less. Are there ways that we can worry less or not worry at all? Well, we're going to look at that. But first of all, let's look at some of the reasons why we shouldn't live with worry and anxiety. First of all, because Jesus said we mustn't. He doesn't want us to live in worry. But how does he know? What does he know? Well, he's God. <laughs> he knows everything. And Jesus lived on the face of this, this earth, did he not? And, and he had three years to prepare eternity. He had three years to prepare his disciples to run the show. And look at the magnificent job he's done. He was rejected, despised, beaten, hated. His wasn't a walk in the park. His was a road to Gethsemane. It was a road 
to, to the cross. So he fully understands what we're going through, does he not? He's not impervious to where we are and what we are going through. And so he says five times here, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. And three of these are imperatives. Three of these are commands. They're not something that we can pray about. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll think about that. Uh, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. It's, they're commands. So we, we don't even have to hassle about praying about them. What is worry? Definition of worry is, it's a state of anxiety and uncertainty over actual or potential problems. Synonyms for worry, anxiety, restlessness, nervousness, agitation, tension, stress, apprehension, fear, dread, angst. No wonder that Jesus doesn't want us as his followers to live like this, subpar, below par. He's called us to a better lifestyle. He's called us to not live in crippling and with crippling anxiety. We can say a couple of amens there. He doesn't want us to live like that. That's compelling enough reason for us not to go down that route. Secondly, why we shouldn't worry is that it's unhealthy. It's destructive. Some of the side effects we've experienced, have we not? And we know of if we haven't. Headaches, inability to concentrate, irritability, muscle tension, nausea, sleep disturbances. Have you been there? Have you done that? Some of the more serious chronic uh, consequences of worry and anxiety, suppression of the immune system, digestive disorders, short-term memory loss. So if I lose my way, just, you know, you know where I'm at. Premature heart disease, heart attacks, strokes. And there are different levels of anxiety. There's just general anxiety and there are general anxiety disorders. And they go down, become more serious. There are phobias, there's the panic attacks, acute stress disorders, there's post-traumatic stress disorders. And for some of these, we need to go and seek medical help. For some of these, we might even have to take medi medication. But we need to go to psychologists or psychiatrists at times. We're, we're, not, we're not being super spiritual here at all. So when we go through a list of, of chronic disorders like that, it's not surprising that Jesus doesn't want us to worry. And one of the most destructive and dangerous parts, damaging parts of acute anxiety is that it damages our fellowship with God. It doesn't destroy our relationship with God, but it damages our fellowship with God. And God is, is so so concerned about our fellowship. He died so that we could have fellowship with himself. He didn't die for us to have a ticket to go to heaven. He didn't die for us to, you know, shine up this genie and say, God, I need this, 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 this. Make my life easy, 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 easy. He didn't die for that. He died for a relationship with us. And anxiety destroys or damages that relationship with God. So we cannot have peace and joy and have a wonderful relationship with God while we are living with chronic anxiety. Thirdly, it's unproductive. It doesn't change anything. It's worthless. It's, it's useless. I'm sure you've all woken up with a problem or two during the night over the years. And this major problem comes and you're trying to fix it at 3 o'clock in the morning. And you're so bewildered by this thing. And you're so tired. You, you can't do it. It's impossible. And I've learned to say, I can't handle this now. I won't handle this now. I'm, I'm just handing it over to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about it in the morning. 
And I'll think about it for an hour or so, and I'll pray about it then. I won't let it continue throughout the day. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26 says, and we read it, that God is concerned about the birds of the air, and He clothes the birds of the air. How much more? Won't He clothe us? How much more? Doesn't He... Isn't he concerned about us? Doesn't he love us? Doesn't he care for us? Much, much more valuable than all his creation. In verse 27 it says, Who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? No, worry kills. <laughs> worry shortens life. Worry destroys. I had a lady come and she was chronically worried about her husband who, who runs several several businesses and he's having chest pains and he's only in his 50s and he won't change his lifestyle that's something to be concerned about but he's not concerned about changing his lifestyle and so we're saying that we shouldn't be concerned about things concern and anxiety are two different things he should be concerned about honoring god he should be concerned about honoring his family his commitment to his family we need to look after ourselves, people. This lady was in tears. A lot of, or most of what we worry about never happens, does it? And so, what a waste of energy, what a waste of time. I was told that up to 80% of what we worry about never happens. Gosh, man, I've worried a lot over the years about nothing. And it's unnecessary and it's a lack of trust in God. And that's our next point. It demonstrates a lack of trust in God. Excessive worry tempts us to think that God doesn't care, that God is not in control, or conversely, to put it another way, it's a sign that we're not fully convinced that God loves us. We're not co fully convinced that God will provide for us. If someone had to risk their life saving you in the sea, in a very treacherous sea, and you were grateful for him, to him for that. And you saw him the very next day and you said, but I'm not too sure that I can trust you. I'm not too sure that you, you've got my best interest at heart. He would be gobsmacked. <laughs> he, he would be absolutely um, insulted. God sent his son to die for us. He died for us to give us life. That's the enormity of salvation. And then to wake up the next day and say, God, I don't know if you, can, you care for me enough in these little things. He's cared for us in this enormous thing. Salvation is enormous. And we can't, we can't trust Him for the little things? Come on. I speak to myself. We, we trust Him for eternal salvation. We trust Him for the by and the by. But we don't trust Him for the little things now. We don't trust him in, in, in the financial things. He's talking about finances before this passage was read and, and often during this passage. Finances is a big worry. Of course we can trust him for them. We can trust him for everything. I, I've been serving God for many, many years in many, many churches and I've come across so many people who don't trust God for finances. How do I know that? Because they come and they share that with me. And I say to them, are you, are, you, are, you, are you tithing? No. Can't afford to tithe. 
You see, they're trusting God for salvation. They're trusting God for, for eternal life. But they don't trust Him in the small thing. In the small things in life. We magnify these things. We think we can handle them on our own. But God handles them much better than us. Why put our lives into a mess, financial mess, when we don't do what God says that we should do? Philippians 4 verse 19 says, My God will meet some of your needs. No, all, 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 all of your needs. All of your needs. Five, why we shouldn't worry. It's not God-centered. It's not God-centered. Timothy Lane is a counselor, a trained counselor, a psychologist, and, and, and a pastor. And he says, what you worry about is a good indicator as to what you truly value and rely upon. Whenever you find that you are filled with anxiety, there's something going on in your heart. Worry is a sign that you have made something other than God your functional God. Consider your job and, and, and other things. If we love our job more than we love God, we're actually saying that our, our job is our ultimate provider. We're actually saying that, that our job is, 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 our, is our mainstay, is our worth giver. And we will become anxious about losing our job. We'll become anxious about not performing properly. We'll become anxious about not being recognized, not being promoted that will be the thing that will cause us anxiety. Rick Pritikin wrote a book, Why Did I Lose My Job? He'd lost a job and was out of work for two years. And out of that experience, he speaks and he says, The toughest part of the journey has been learning more about myself than I was ready to accept. How much fear I harbored, how much my previous job f formulated my net worth as a person. I was able to see with clarity how my entire life was driven by work. My identity, self-respect, self-esteem, and my sense of self-worth were all centered around my occupation. And the same can be said about your spouse, your children, your friends, your possessions. No matter what we overlove, whatever, whenever we make the blessing, more important than the giver of the blessing, then we go into anxiety mode. It becomes an, an anxiety process. And ironically, we damage the very thing that we overlove. Just give an example about my mom. My mom lost uh, her mom while she was giving birth to, to her little daughter. And uh, so she never knew her mom. Her, her dad died. Shortly after that, he was struck by lightning up in Johannesburg. He was working on a roof. And uh, her family didn't take her in. And she was cut off from her family. And when I was born, I was her nearest and her dearest. And she overloved me. She smothered me with her love. And when I was between six and eight years of age, I had to push her away. I had to literally push her away. It hurt me, but it hurt her too. But I was, I was damaged by her overlove. And she was damaged also by overloving me. She didn't know the Lord then. I led her to the Lord a little time later when I was um, in my early, late teens and early 20s. Six, it's a bad witness. It's a bad witness. When we're living under constant fear and anxiety and, and worry, what kind of a witness is that at work? What kind of witness is that in our neighborhood with unsafe folk? Because they look at us and they say, well, you're no different from us. 
You, you say you trust in this almighty, glorious, all-providing God. Well, why aren't you different from us? How can we portray such an amazing God in such a terrible way? Verse 31 32, he talks about the pagans running after material things, after eating and drinking and clothing. And he says, but we're not, we're not like this. Our kingdom is out of this world. And he scolds his disciples and he says, Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. How can we overcome being fearful, worried, anxious? Well, first of all, by making Jesus king of your life. It's a very simple message, but it's profound in its application if we will do it. Making Jesus king of your life. Matthew 6, 33, we, we read it. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you or given to you as well. We want the things, but sometimes we don't want the king. We don't want to seek the king. We don't want to honor the king. We don't want to magnify the king. When we seek the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is God's rule and his reign in my heart. That is it. That's the kernel of it. That's the heart of seeking first the kingdom. So Jesus is saying, get your priorities right. What are you living for? Does Jesus fulfill the deepest longings of your heart? Or when you're in stress, when you're in trouble, when you're in difficulty, you run after other things to satisfy your anxieties. I know people, they, they run after alcohol, they run after drugs, they run after pornography, run into, into business, they run into you know, sport, whatever it is, but they don't run to God. And then become more anxious because those things can never supply our need, our deep need. They can never take away our anxiety. They only put heaps of coal on the anxiety and it gets worse. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 10 says, So then banish anxiety from your heart. When we run after other things and we seek other things before we seek the king and the kingdom of God, then we can never banish anxiety from our hearts. But when we seek the king and his kingdom, then we can. We can. We can say, no, I'm not going to live like this. I refuse to be anxious in the middle of the night. I'm handing this over to my Lord and to my King. So there, there are three missionaries here. When I went to Switzerland, they said, really? We're going to be a missionary to Switzerland? That's not missionary work. You know, you've got to go to Asia, Africa, somewhere else. Um, but things didn't work out as we, as, as, as we planned or as we thought. And um, in, the, in the beginning stages and I had this recurring dream that I was in a motor car and we were going forwards and suddenly we were going backwards. And in Geneva, they've got these little narrow streets, one-way streets, and they've got cars on either side and they've got pedestrian crossings and motorcycles and, and all sorts. And, and I couldn't stop this thing. It got, it got faster and faster and faster. And as, as, as much as I tried to, to stop this car from going backwards, it just... It just did its own thing. It was a nightmare. It was recurring. I did it over and over and over again. I never hit anybody. I never hit a car. And suddenly I'd wake up and I'd be in a sweat. And eventually I said, God, 
Please, please, take, take this dream away. Don't know what's happening. And God spoke to me so clearly. He says, you're trying to be in control of this church plant. And you feel you're out of control in this church plant. And that's why you're having these dreams. You know, I had to, I had to crown him king of my life again. And say, you become king. It's your church. You're, you're in charge of my life. You're in charge of the time frame here. And you know, guess what? The nightmares disappeared. And the peace and the joy returned. It's a practical thing. We serve a practical God. It was such a good lesson. And not an easy lesson to learn. Make him king of your heart. King of your life every day. Secondly, live in the knowledge that God promises to be with you each day. Hebrews 13 verse 5. I will never leave you or forsake you. He knows the very numbers of our head. For some, well, he doesn't have to count that much. But he knows. He's there all the time. Sometimes we think, well, where's God? He's so far away. But he's right there. And, and you know, you might be away from your relatives and friends because of their work and their, their, their school or their varsity. But he doesn't go on holiday. God doesn't, you know, he doesn't take, you know, smoke breaks. doesn't smoke. Um, he, 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 he doesn't, you know, go on long leave like Dane and Kerry have gone on now. He, I mean, why? Who would want to go for two months? I would. God is always with us and he's in us. When uh, he was leaving, Jesus said to his disciples, they were so worried, you know, don't leave us. Where are you going? How can we cope? And he says in John chapter 14, verse 17, for he, the Holy Spirit, will be in you. He will be in you. He will live within you and will be in you and I will not leave you as orphans. You can't get any closer than that, that God is, is, is in us. God li lives right within us. And so we might not feel that God is close. And I'm sure there are many times when you feel, gee, where are you, God? But he, he, he knows the hairs of our head. He's within us. That's how close he is. And it doesn't go by feeling because we often feel far away from God. But God is never far away from us. And we, we don't live by feelings. We live by faith. It's fact, faith, and then feelings. F fact the word of God, the promises of God, the yes and amen in God, never changing. So don't go on feelings. He's with you, with you till, till the end. Three, live in a dynamic relationship with Jesus. At the start of the sermon, I said to you, some of us might not believe that it's possible. And what if it was possible? What if there were ways that we could worry less or not worry at all. Well, it's living in a relationship, in a dynamic, intimate relationship with Jesus that's at the heart of and not allowing crippling anxiety to destroy our lives. You see, Jesus wants a relationship with us more than anything else in all the world. And he'll do anything that he can to foster that relationship, even if it takes our happiness away. For a moment in time. So that we can come back to him. 
so that we can relate to him, that we can have intimacy with him. He suspends our happiness for our holiness. He suspends our happiness for a relationship with him. And isn't it enormous? Isn't it phenomenal that the God of glory, the God who, who owns everything, has everything at his command, wants to have a relationship with little old me? It's mind-boggling. And when we don't foster that relationship, how terrible is that? When my, when my children don't phone me enough, I think, what's wrong with them? My heart aches. How does God's heart ache when I don't relate to him enough? Rick Pritikin, who wrote the book, was out of work, said, I had no idea how stressed out I had become. I was stressed about work, about life, about family issues. After having been out of work for several months, I changed. Friends couldn't understand how calm I'd become. I reduced my previous dependency on medication by 50%. Perhaps the most significant difference was the growth in intimacy that I experienced with the Lord. That's it. That's it. It was the growth of intimacy that God wanted. And, got, and, 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 and he got through this job loss. Grow that intimacy with him. Grow that intimacy with him. If you remember nothing else, just remember that. That he loves you with a passion. And he so desires that you talk with him all the time. You know, I used to go through lists and lists and lists of praying for missions and this and that and the other. And, and God chided me some time ago. And said, but I want your heart. I want you to relate to me. I want you to share your life with me. It's not just the whole list that you go through, you know. Okay, I'm impressed that you're doing it for half an hour, half an hour. But... But that's not it. Yes, I want you to pray for those things. But I want you. I want you. And I had to go back to God and, and ask for forgiveness. And say, yes, Lord. I, I, I kind of thought, well, it's selfish. You know, I, I need to pray for all those things. But God said, no, it's not selfish. You're sharing your heart with me. You're sharing your life with me. And all through the day as, as well. John 14, 27, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. It's relational. It's relational. Without that relationship, no peace, no joy, no stability. Poor trust in God's promise to provide for all your needs. Number four, it's relational again. Philippians 4, 19, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, not some of them, but all, all, all of them. When I first went into ministry, I, I was anxious before I even took the call. I, was like, I, I knew in those days of many, many uh, pastors who left ministry because of financial constraints. Churches weren't paying them very well at all. And, and so they had the burden of the church and they had the burden of how do we exist? How do I feed my two or three or four children? And many left the ministry because the, the finances were such a stress to them. And I said to God, how am I going to cope? Because you've put it in my heart to, to do church planting. I'm going to be even less provided for with that. And he gave me this verse. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And I can tell you, folks, that he's provided. Elaine's here. He, she's my witness. There have been tight times. There have been difficult times. <laughs> uh, they've been impossible times. But God has come out for us time and time and time and time again. 
Trust in God's promises. Trust in God's promises. We can stand on those promises. Lastly, cast all your anxieties on him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything present your requests to God. And the peace of God will transcend all understanding and will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And just some very practical things from Collins who writes a book on, on counseling. And uh, he says, admit fears and insecurities and anxieties when they arise. Admit them. Don't hide them. Don't, don't bluff that they're not there. Don't think that you have to be so super spiritual. Secondly, talk these things over with someone, a spouse, a friend, a prayer partner. Three, learn to relax and to distress. Exercise, time off, hobbies. These are important. Four, developing good time management principles. Five, evaluating and periodically restructuring one's priorities and one go one's goals. I'm very goal-oriented, goal and sometimes I've set those goals in too much in concrete, and I had to learn to be flexible. Say, so, okay, God, all right, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. Let's reevaluate. Five, find a mentor, a Christian leader. Seven, avoid extremes, overwork, underwork, laziness. Eight, plan ahead to avoid stress. God's not saying that we mustn't plan ahead. He's saying do not worry ahead, that you can't change something. A lot of Christians that I've known over the years said, I, I, I'm not planning for retirement. You know, God's going to provide for me. I'm not planning, you know, I don't, I don't take insurance. And then their house is broken into. And they say, oh, oh my gosh, you know. No. It, there's a big difference of concern and worry and anxiety. We need to work out the difference between the two. So let's just pray now. Let's just commit our hearts to him afresh. Make him king of your life, king of your heart. There are lots of worries. There are a lot of pressures in life. Just lay them out to God. Ask God to forgive as we're praying. Ask him to forgive for those little anxieties that keep creeping up. Keep coming back to bite us like a fox. Let's cast those anxieties on him. Won't you renew your relationship with God right now? Just confess your hardness of heart or your coldness towards him if there is any. Say, God, I, I really want to befriend you as never before. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Paul says they can kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. And we know that we do not need to fear or be anxious about death or car accidents or whatever else. Because ultimately we're in your hands. And we bless you for that, God. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.